Hi, folks. I'm Andrew Shapiro uh, from Broadscale, and I know many of you. Um, but uh, just so you know, we're working both with large corporates and family offices and high net worth folks to find strategic investments in sustainable energy and mobility and built environment, among other areas. So it's great to be here with this panel. I know a number of you here are going to be speaking today. And before I formally introduce this group, I guess I want to say one thing. Uh, Echoing what Bill said, a thank you to Yossi and the board here for creating uh, our energy policy, this platform for engagement. Uh, and just thinking about the area of green buildings, uh, some of us have been working in this space for quite a while. Uh, my predecessor firm that I founded and ran called Green Order worked with Larry Silverstein at Ground Zero to build Seven World Trade Center, which became the first LEED certified corn shell office building in New York City. And where's Rob Watson? Rob Watson, as many of you know, one of the fathers of LEED, uh, we'll all remember those days when we were trying to talk to developers and other people in the built environment space about greening buildings, and they all said, LEEDs? What's this LEEDs stuff, right? Uh, but now things have truly become so mainstream that I think today the question is, what is the right combination of innovation, technology, public policy, incentives, uh, financial uh, progress that can drive this revolution in sustainable built environment, building, and technology. Uh, and there's so many interesting data points. We were just talking at our table about some of them. You know, Fifth Wall just announced a $500 million fund. Uh, Honest Buildings, a firm founded by the former chief sustainability officer at Tishman Spire, just got acquired. Uh, there's so many different things happening, but one of the most important has been the New York City bill that we're going to talk about here, the so-called retrofit bill for buildings in New York City. Uh, and so it's really a pleasure to have our panel here talking about these issues today. I'm going to start with my friend Robin Beavers, who I'm going to add a little personal touches here. I met Robin when she, and correct me if I got the wrong terminology, but basically was the assistant to two guys in Silicon Valley named Larry and Sergey. Uh, they built a little company called Google. And they were smart enough to hire Robin to help with a bunch of things. But the thing that she came up with that became really transformational for Google and the world was building a green team and a green program there. And she started that work. Uh, it's not really in her bio that way, but, but I'm going to call her out on that. And then went on to work with amazing people like Dean Kamen, uh, with our uh, mutual friend David Crane at NRG, at Vestas. And now she's taken the leap and started her own firm, Blueprint Power, which is a New York City-based real estate tech company that turns buildings into power plants. Uh, we have council member Costa Constantinidis. I hope I pronounced that right. I've tried it about 10 times this morning in the shower. <laughs> uh, who is the chair of the council's Environmental Protection Committee and sits on a number of additional committees and has been instrumental in this legislation. So we look forward to hearing from you and thank you for being with us and representing uh, the 22nd District, including a story in your home. Mm -hmm. uh, and then John Gilbert from Rudin Management. Most of you who work in the built environment and property know John, because he's been in this for a number of years. Uh, and um, he is a key leader of the Rudin um, management organization and almost everything that they do has been particularly involved in their Brooklyn Navy Yard project. Uh, which is called Doc 72, which has been done in conjunction with innovators like WeWork, 
Uh, and he's also been at the forefront of Rudin's efforts to develop their own technology platforms, including the Nantum building operating system and prescriptive data. So uh, we are really excited to hear from all three of you. And to moderate this conversation, we have Keiko Morris, who is a commercial real estate reporter from the Wall Street Journal. And with that, Keiko, I will turn it over to you. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Good afternoon. Um, I'm psyched to be having this discussion because in the months afterwards, I'm doing different stories, uh, national stories, and I'm talking to sources, I'm talking to engineers and architects, and all eyes are on New York. Um, they're looking at how this law is going to translate into um, buildings, managing energy, uh, greening the, the grid um, in a city that you know, it prides itself on never sleeping. Um, also in a place where um, you're going to have, you know, the, the office trend is to have more people densely packed, you know. So they're looking to see what we do um, here. And um, we've got a great panel here of folks at the core of that question. Um, so I'm going to start with uh, Costa. If you could sort of give us... I, you know, people probably know what the you know law entails, but if you could give us the basics of that, the mechanics of how it works, and enforcement. Sure. Um, so, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Keiko, thank you for moderating today, and thank you to John and Robin for being here with me, and and to everyone here for putting this together. Thank you for you know having this opportunity to have this discussion. I really do appreciate it. Uh, so, uh, the legislation was part of a two-year process where we worked with stakeholders. And we went through a lot of different iterations, um, things that were, we had a fossil fuel cap initially, we had uh, Energy Star initially as a, a second draft. There were lots of things that we went through with stakeholders from the you know, real estate board, co-ops and condos, all the way to labor and environmental organizations and tenant advocacy groups. And you know, we took a lot of their feedback in the final structure of this legislation that passed in April of 2018, uh, 2019, that was you know, deemed the Climate Mobilization Act, which is a number of bills. This particular legislation looks at large buildings, buildings that are larger than 25,000 square feet, in which there were about 50,000 of them. These 50,000 buildings are responsible for a third of New York's, about a third, about 30% of New York City's overall emissions, which is a, a big number for a small subset of buildings. Uh, so we structured the legislation in a couple of ways. We put together a two-tiered system. One, uh, the worst emitters, the worst 20% of certain building classes have to go first and reduce their emissions by 2024. And then 75% uh, of the buildings have to reduce their emissions by 2030. Uh, there is, we create an office of building energy emissions performance. I don't want to say that again. It's like saying my last name. So we're just going to call it OBEEP, and I hope you guys are okay with that. Um, so OBEEP is there to provide uh, the enforcement and additionally provide uh, technical assistance to building owners as needed. Uh, there's also an advisory board that is created to take a look at the 2030 metric and beyond that's going to have a wide-reaching uh, 
group of people that come together. We don't have, there are certain parameters that are in the advisory board. And they're to look at things like the, you know, 2030 and beyond uh, metric, the opportunity for carbon trading. Uh, we put a carbon trading study into the bill. Uh, we want to make sure that it's done in a thoughtful way that uh, doesn't impact environmental justice communities. So it has to look at it through a lens where you're not trading. Uh, we'll do more on the building in Fifth Avenue but less in the building in Red Hook. Um, you know, we want there to be a, an environmental justice lens to that trading uh, opportunity, but we think it's an important part. Uh, there's also a New York City buildings component where New York City buildings as a portfolio have to reduce their emissions 40% by the year 2025 and 50% by the year 2030. Uh, we wanted to make sure that city buildings were part of the solution in addition because we are, we're one of the, you know, if not the largest, one of the largest landlords in the city and we should be part of this. Um, you know, there are certain buildings that were given uh, uh, consideration in, for, in, a, in, in sort of adjustments to having to deal with the carbon number, the hard carbon number, uh, and those you know, include uh, you know, looking at rent-regulated housing, which all stakeholders came together and agreed upon very early on in the process. We're going to have alternative compliance, things that they could do that were going to improve efficiencies in buildings but not cause MCIs, looking at hospitals and making sure we're not putting hospitals out of business, looking at um, you know, NYCHA, which is a uh, federal, state, and city responsibility, none of which own it all, and yet we all are doing a really bad job of managing NYCHA. So they have a goal of reaching the same targets for city buildings, and if they're unable to comply, then they have to uh, tell us why they're unable to comply. Um, so that's that's a lot of our detail, I, I'm, yeah, and, and last thing I'll say about the adjustment, so the opportunities, if you really can't hit your number, and I'll talk about this later, there's also mechanisms that deal with reductions in penalties, reductions in your actual carbon number that provide some flexibility as well, along with a companion bill called PACE uh, that re allows for low interest, uh, uh, no interest loans to help pay for all of this. And, and this has, this law has teeth because it has fines and, and enforcement, correct? Like there's the, the structures written into the legislation. Absolutely. That, yeah. I mean, so I'll say this. Uh, I don't want anyone's money. I want your carbon. <laughs> you know, I, 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 despite some of the press conferences that have gone on, I, I, that's really how I feel. We wrote a bill that is, we feel that's aggressive but achievable. We provide certain uh, fallbacks in the legislation that if you really can't get to your number, um, you can apply for an adjustment either in your number or in your penalty. And things like density are taken into account. But there are fines there as well. We didn't want anyone saying who they were ideologically opposed to climate change and don't believe it's real, so we're not going to do anything. Those fines have to mean something. They actually have to make us do them. But we also have, we feel that the, the fines are in line what it would cost to actually upgrade your building. Um, so we'd rather... You go as far as you possibly can, and then if you really can't get to a number, we can either they can adjust your number or your or penalty. I'd rather see it that way, but we really that that's sort of the way we structured the bill. So no one's writing this off as the cost of doing business. Or if you're really ideologically opposed, you're not going to just say, "I'd rather write a check." We want their carbon. And 
can you talk a little bit, actually um, yourself, and then I'll, I'll let you guys also speak on this. Um, the urgency to do something, the timetable of this bill is very aggressive. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that maybe that UN report where they said we had 12 years to, you know, a 12 year window. Can you talk about what the urgency and why this law has, um, you know, that timetable of 20, that 2024 is right around the corner. So definitely. So the, I don't want to monopolize the whole panel either. So I, I know I'm a lawyer and a politician, so I can talk forever. <laughs> uh, so the, uh, why this timetable? If you look at the IPCC report, if you look at Donald Trump's own report that they put out the Friday after Thanksgiving, I wonder why that was. Uh, the, the city's panel on climate change, it talks about this 11, 12-year window that we have to, to reduce emissions, and that the models are quite frightening. You look at neighborhoods like the Rockaways, the neighborhoods like you know, Lower Manhattan that would disappear from the map, that won't exist. Uh, you look at JFK, which is the... Uh, if you look at, if you, if you called New York City a body, that's the lungs of our society that breathes life into us by getting commerce in and out, talking about being underwater by the year 20, 2100. Uh, you know, I have, a, I have a 10-year-old son. Uh, at, you know, at the age that I am now, he will be dealing with, and all of our sons and daughters will be dealing with rampant heat waves, uh, climate impacts, flooding, much more so than we're dealing with today, even though today is pretty hot. And, you know, they're thinking about this weekend being uh, record highs and, you know, flooding last night in my district was worse than it's been in years. So I think the, the reason for having these teeth was to make sure that we do something that fits within the timeline of being able to actually change things. It shouldn't be a choice between the Hunger Games and Mad Max, as I, I'm not sure which, which newspaper said that, but... That was the proposal. <laughs> oh, those were the two options. I'm, I'm choosing option C, which, <laughs> which is that we actually make an impact why we can and that we are able to you know, save the city from those long-term effects. And can you guys talk, maybe, Robin, if you want to uh, talk a little bit about, uh, I think the real estate industry um, does feel some of that urgency, and can you talk about um, what you've seen in terms of, of that and how people are responding? <laughs> so I think there's a uh, we there are a lot of parallel things happening right now that um, we've noticed uh, has really invigorated the realist our real estate partners to uh, invest in <coughs> excuse me invest in technology and on-site clean energy assets to um, to perform in a lot of different ways. And so in addition to a lot of the decarbonization um, efforts, you know, obviously here in New York and emerging in other cities. Um, another big trend that's uh, as certainly why Blueprint, when we, were, um, when we were launched, is around kind of overall energy market reform and transition. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of macro things happening. Um, <clears throat> traditional supply of electricity is, is getting um, tested. You know, old plants are coming offline. Um, you know, trying to figure out how to get new new supply online is um, is a big topic. Uh, you demand is increasing, kind of for the first time in a couple decades in the U.S. Electricity demand, and that's um, because of uh, fleets are going to start electrifying, and you know we're going to have new electricity customers. You know, from the oil, you know, tr who used to use different fuels, and that's going to lead to an interesting increase in demand that um, the grid hasn't really prepared for. 
And then you have the grid itself, which is um, strained. It's old. Um, you know, EVs plugging into it, stress it out. A lot of big wind farms stress it out. I mean, all the things we love and want more of, you know, you have to think about the system that makes sure everything's working. It can work itself. And what with those trends, because of that, there's a lot of effort at the federal level, at the state level, and the city level to um, incent new types of supply. And that's like a huge opportunity for buildings. So buildings as can be, become flexible resources and they can, they can deliver more volume, they can deliver higher quality services to the grid, they can be very local in nature. All of these things are um, hot topics at, at the utility level and at the federal level. Um, and it now it can pair very nicely with the urgency around you know carbon decarbonization, and um, it's 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 like a moment for many of us who've been working on these issues for so long. It's like super exciting <laughs> because it's it's um it's a huge opportunity. It's very chaotic, um, but it's a huge opportunity. You can get major industries involved. You can create a lot of financial value for them, and you can contribute like real change you can like decarbonize cities um so i for us i think it's we a lot of our conversations with our partners are are often around the decarbonization goals and you know their the the firm's commitment to that a lot of their investors want that but there's like a huge financial opportunity now for the, the real estate industry to get new net operating income you know you can the buildings are not just consumers of electricity they're producers of electricity, and they can actually provide services that a lot of different types of players need, and that's that's exciting. So I think it's just all of these these trends happening in parallel, and now all sort of coming together is um, what is it's um, it's a lot at once. Like the last couple of months have been nuts, but um, it's <laughs> that's been a nice way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, it's really exciting. Yeah, and and John, I know um, that the. Uh, the Rudin Management Company and the family, they've already been investing in new technology. Um, and can, can you talk a little bit about what compelled, um, you know, uh, your firm to, to look at energy efficiency, but also obviously decarbonization? You've already gotten into that. Yeah. Sure. Uh, you know, the Rudin family has uh, owned real estate in the city of New York uh, since 1892 still own that piece of dirt that uh, uh, Louis Rudinsky bought back in the day. Uh, it now is underneath the 641 Lexington uh, office building. Um, the, the ethos of Rudin, and, and today the family owns and operates uh, about 15 million square feet, uh, 10 of its office, five of its residential. Uh, we're just completing our latest office project over in uh, the Brooklyn Navy Yard, Dock 72, which uh, was was mentioned by Andrew, and and also uh, we've just finished our latest residential project, the Greenwich Lane, uh, a adaptive reuse of the old St. Vincent's Hospital after they went bankrupt. Um, but the ethos of Rudin really is all about the environment. Uh, it's it's you know Lou Rudin used to say, hey, I can't pick up my my uh, buildings and move them. I, I have to take care of the neighborhood around me and then the, the blocks around that, and then the city around that. So very much about the environment. Uh, proof of that is, is that since the benchmarking law uh, took effect under the Bloomberg administration, we've decreased our electric consumption by 41%. We've decreased our carbon 
production by 44%, and we've decreased our steam consumption by 48%. And we'll put those numbers up against any property owner in the city of New York, uh, and we're proud of it. Uh, and we're gonna, we strive every day to, to decrease our consumption of, 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 of all fossil fuels and, and ultimately uh, to decrease our production of, of carbon. Um, the, the issue that we have with, with the legislation is, is that we view it less as, a, as a, an incentive for property owners to be more efficient and more of a bill that is pushing people to purchase renewable energy resources. Um, and so that literally, you know, throughout this process, we've gone out and tried to buy uh, solar generated electricity, wind generated electricity, uh, hydro generated electricity. You can't. It's impossible. You cannot buy renewable resources in the city of New York at scale. Zero, nada, can't happen. So even those numbers that I spelled out in 2024, we, Rudin, face millions of dollars of fines. Uh, and we think we've done a pretty good job. The issue here is, is that it's, we've done everything that we possibly can and will continue to push that envelope in terms of the core of our buildings. But the way the legislation works is that we, that what's taken into consideration is actually what the customers, our tenants, consume within our buildings that I have no control over. And in effect, um, you know, we were, I was down in Nashville and we were, there was a bunch of people from around the country. Oh, Nashville's the music city. Hey, what's New York? Well, New York's the city that never sleeps. But now it's going to be the New York's the city that never sleeps. And if you don't sleep, you get fined. Because, it, because at the end of the day, what, what are the buildings that we face fines are based upon companies that work in our buildings that we're very proud to have as tenants but who are in the media business that need to, to follow that clock 24-7, that are in the, the, the tax business. You know, I'm going to have to go knock on KPMG's door and say, okay, it's tax season, but you guys got to, you know, shut it down because we're going to face fines. And we eat the fines. The fines are not passable onto the customer. Go knock on Blackstone's door and say, okay, no more M&A deals today, guys. You know, go home. It's time to go home. So as well-intentioned as this legislation is, we need to fix it. And we need to solve a lot of these problems. You know, we've got a building, 32 Avenue Americas. It was the original AT&T Long Lines building. The, the, the ratio of tenant consumption to core is 10 to 1. 10 to 1. In a typical building, it's 60-40. So if you pass a, a, a law that says, hey, property owner, you're responsible for, for dropping, and we've already hit our, our, 20, our, our, our 40 by 30, you know, de decrease your carbon by 40% by 2030. We did that in 2019. So we're way ahead of it. But at the end of the day, if you're giving the, the property owner the responsibility to control something that they have no control over, that law will fail the impact of that law will not be what the writers of that law intended. And we want this law to work. We want carbon to be reduced. We've proven it in our own portfolio. So as we, as we look at this, it, 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 there has to be improvements to the law, and, and I think we hope that the council and, and the chair are open to it. 
Uh, we're, we're ready to bring in, in facts and figures that show and, and, and support this because the last thing we want New York to change from is the city that never sleeps. It's what makes this city great. It's what creates the energy and the vibe, the vibe and why young people want to come here and work and live. So let's not screw that up. So um, you touched on something. Actually, it, there are so many questions <laughs> coming from that, uh, what you just um, you touched on. But buying, um, buying that power at scale, that um, you know, non-fossil fuel-generated mm -hmm. electricity, um, what, I mean, what exists now? Is it possible within the time frame of this, uh, you know, these mandates to do that? It, it, what's happening right now? There's only one project on the drawing <laughs> board that has a, a, a shot at making it operational by 2024, and that's something called the Champaign-Hudson Express. Uh, and I, I describe it as a, as a very thick extension cord that is bringing uh, anywhere from 1,000 to 1,250 megawatts of hydro-generated power down from southern Quebec to Astoria, Queens. And it literally would be a, will be a cable. It'll be DC and direct current. So Thomas Edison's very happy with that. It'll then be converted to alternating current. Tesla is still in the game. Uh, and, and, and it'll be delivered to Astoria and, and injected into the grid. We've been monitoring that project for the last eight years. Uh, Gene Martin, uh, who was a, a, a good friend, uh, has been working on that for eight years. He finally has his permits. Uh, we're told that the city of New York is going to buy a chunk of that electricity, uh, and we're negotiating on behalf of Rudin, and there's other property owners in there as well. Uh, and the real estate board is very active in this to try to fill that bus so that thing can get financed and, and constructed and meet that 2024 date. Uh, it's only time will tell. That's a, a massive uh, infrastructure project uh, that, that will literally run 365 miles uh, all the way down under, underwater via Lake Champlain, Hudson River, and then ultimately to Astoria, Queens. Wow. Well, Costa, um, oh, Robin, did you want to get in there with <laughs> talking about some of this? Yes. Um, so another approach to supply, which is a growing um, kind of share, is distributed generation. So um, having networks of distributed energy assets uh, locally, um, again, perhaps located on buildings, <laughs> um, many of them are, and you can uh, now, thanks to technology improving, cost falling, and you know the, the readiness for software and data management, uh, you can actually start managing smaller generation sources that can fit up buildings, that can be coordinated <laughs> with the, the demand, the load side, and coordinated as like a virtual network that actually can be um, kind of a significant source of supply. And that is a new viable alternative today that uh, maybe wasn't five years ago, it was too expensive, it was too clunky, um, but now everything is aligning for that. And you, you can see that trend with you know, companies like ours emerging, but also um, billions of dollars of like infrastructure funds being set up now. And just in the last two weeks, there have been a numerous amount of deals where um, M&A deals buying distributed energy developers, you know, private equity gobbling up folks, deploying um, batteries and solar and CHP, and that trend will only continue. So 
I think, um, and this is not necessarily clear in the bill either, so that would be a great discussion to keep having, is how um, supply, you know, the qualified supply that you can get credit for could actually be from right in the city of New York, either from another building or um, from a network of buildings. And I think um, that's ready, like that's available today. Uh, it's, it's ready. So, and that's a great complement to kind of larger scale, utility scale supply as well. And, and Cosa, I know um, we had talked about some of like both uh, state programs mm -hmm. um, that are happening um, in terms of uh, alternative sources but of, of power. So, right. I mean, you look at, I mean, the reason this room is, uh, I think that uh, he talked a little bit, Adam talked, had talked a little bit about the why this room isn't as filled as could possibly be was that, you know, Governor Cuomo is making an announcement as we speak. Um, relating to uh, renewable energy sources. I think the state bill, uh, the CCPA, or I don't know the exact acronym that it actually landed on, but I think it was the bill formerly known as CCPA uh, was you know, creating a green grid um, here in New York, you know, New York State that requires a you know, green grid by 2040, a 70% reduction, 70% clean grid by 2030 or somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, you know, thinking about uh, renewable energy. I think that's part of this legislation as well as thinking about ingenuity, thinking about how we create the market for more renewable energy sources here in New York City. We and plugged into the New York City area. We want ingenuity. We want companies like Robbins to be thinking about these issues in a larger way and have uh, those conversations. Uh, we want that to be part of our long-term solution. What you know, the power plants that are in our communities, they've been sitting there for quite some time. Uh, they've been sitting there and, and polluting in our communities, and we see asthma rates go up higher to them as, as in those neighborhoods. A lot of them are environmental justice communities. So we want to see cleaner a cleaner grid, see those power plants leave our neighborhood in the long term, and in the... Uh, so, but the solution being, you know, long, you know, large-scale utility battery storage, wind power, solar power, hydropower. We want those projects to come online and come online quickly. Um, so that's something we'd absolutely want to see. And I guess I'll press you a little bit on on the pace of things um, and how fast this can happen. Um, we're gonna lose uh, Indian Point, right? It's gonna go mm -hmm. offline at some point. Um, Twenty twenty-one. Twenty twenty one. No one's is, counting, right? Which is soon, uh, right? Which is a lot, uh, you know, um, a, a lot of energy that you know people are relying on that, and so is the pace, you know, and the deadlines. Is is that something that's um, really uh, realistic? I mean, I'd say two things. One, um, we needed to move. Quick, you know, we needed to be aggressive based on our timelines on climate change overall, and I think the Rudin family, and we all have the same shared goal of having a New York City that we all know and love into the 21st century and long after, you know, we've left here in this earth that the it, New York City continues to be the great city that is, we both have that shared goal. Um, you know, I'm not going anywhere, you're not going anywhere, you know, we, we're here, we all have that shared goal together. Um, so these timelines, so we walk through a number of things in this bill that I just want to kind of touch on quickly. Uh, the PACE financing that allows for the low interest and uh, no interest loans. Uh, we are seeing, as I talked about earlier, the state bill come online to green our grid. We're seeing technologies every day. One of the things that we need to do as a city better is cut the red tape. 
We need to make it easier to have battery storage in the city of New York. We need to make it easier for solar installation. Uh, we, as part of this package of bills, we passed legislation relating to large wind power and allowing for permitting because too often uh, you'd have to get a special permit. And those of you who knows what a special permit is in the city of New York, it's called reinventing the wheel. Uh, you know, you, nobody wants to do that. They hear the word special permit, people start shaking. It, it, it creates night, stuff of nightmares. Um, so we want them, to, we want this to be easier. We're, we're passing legislation in addition, when I, I didn't just stop. Uh, I didn't just say we succeeded here. We want to be able to continue to cut red tape, allow for this legislation to work by cutting red tape in city government to allow for all of these renewable energy sources to be part of the long-term solution. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, can, I can't disagree with anything that, that Costas just said, except that if I don't dodge these fines, I probably will be sent someplace else uh, <laughs> outside the city of New York. So. Uh, don't I, worry, John. We want you to stay, John. <laughs> um, so I think the pace, uh, the ability to achieve a lot of these goals is still um, hindered by not just red tape, you know, locally, but there's still some work to be done in terms of policy coordination across um, city policy, state policy, and federal policy. And so right now, um, Blue, my company, we, we have this the vantage point of seeing how a decision made at the New York ISO and how um, you know a two-hour battery is compensated on the wholesale power markets versus a state uh, level uh, or the you know the PSC's um, decision to allow like a data security um, agreement you know grind an industry to a halt you know like there's there's all these little decisions being made that. Um, are not in the same rooms, and they're often not with the same entities, and they, everyone has a different boss. You know, New York ISO's boss is FERC. The um, PSC's boss is the governor. <laughs> like, the fire department's boss is the mayor. And so it's like everyone has different incentives and bosses. And so now, though, you can literally like, unlock the flow of, of data and clean energy and, like, put buildings in a position to be net producers and versus just, like, trying to limit them and that can all be done if there's just everyone talks to each other. There's like some coordination and policy, which I know is not hasn't been relevant before. But now, um, as buildings become the consumers and the producers, and you know, like almost the the center of all of this, you can see how it's all converging. And so that I think still needs a lot of work um, in order to accelerate the pace of you know the exponential growth of of low carbon solutions. Um, so that's. I can talk about that all day because it's, well, it's happening every day. That's what I was going to ask, though, whether all of these, you know, the city law and the state law, whether that actually, um, you know, despite being in, you know, having uh, not quite alignment between state, city, federal, whatever, does that create a really fertile ground for um, entrepreneurial projects like Rudin's, you know, uh, Nantum, like your company, like is... Is it, will it do that, or, or what needs to happen, uh, you know, for innovators to come in and uh, and seize on this moment? Yeah, I think you know everybody says data is the new oil, and, and I, I I kind of modify that a little bit to data is the new crude oil. Uh, you need software ultimately to refine it, and and that the refining of that data is what's really important. 
you know, we created Nantum uh, as a brain for buildings. I can, I'm not looking at my emails, I'm looking at my phone, I'm literally looking at our consumption across our portfolio, and in real time, we're 26.3 uh, megawatts. I've already consumed 124 impounds of steam. There's currently 18,416 people within the Rudin office portfolio, and we've already consumed 271, almost 272,000 gallons of water. That's all in real time, that's all via my phone. So from an operation standpoint, I can be anywhere in the world and understand and have situational awareness into the Rudin portfolio. And we built this. It's the, we think it's, it's one of the best products out there. And we're now out there you know, selling it to our friendly and unfriendly competitors. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, I think the, the issue really is, and in terms of the state and the city bills, there are conflicts between those bills. And they need to be reconciled. Um, the whole rec market... You know, based upon what happened here in the city, and, and I get it that, you know, that, that they, that's very, very strict that in order to buy renewables, they have to be delivered into Zone J, uh, which is the city zone. So Rudin couldn't go up and buy, a, you know, a farm in the Catskills and put up a solar array or, or, or wind farms unless I could deliver that into Zone J and then get credit for it. You know, the, the old rule was is that, hey, I could go buy that or buy those RECs, renewable energy credits, from a solar or wind farm uh, generator. But the fact that they're not and, and get credit for that, that game's over. That's done. So, you know, that's been discounted uh, to, to 10%, I believe the number is in the bill. So that, to, to me, okay, then what, what you're pushing us to do is to go buy power that's being generated by hydro in Quebec, when in effect that that could be power that would be generated in upstate New York and help out those counties that, that are, are severely uh, underinvested right now. You know, I think for us, and again, the, the council and, and clearly the chair, smart, smart people, well-intentioned people, but, you know, we've got this advisory board that's been that's within the, the new law that, that is going to be have a lot of responsibility. There's only a single property owner on that advisory board, one property owner out of 19, when in effect we're given the responsibility of solving this because we face the fines. To me, that's something else that needs to be fixed. Um, you know, there's an amazing, the, 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 the domain expertise and the, 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 the knowledge that exists within people, the men and women who run real estate in the city of New York is an, is an untapped resource that this law should be tapping. That Let's go find the best and the brightest. Let's figure these things out. Let's get focused and really solve the problem. That's what Rudin wants to do. And I know that's what the council wants to do. And we just need laws that, that ultimately reflect that. So I, I think we want to open up um, uh, for questions in the audience. Um, but I also, I, I want to just go to Costa for a second because I think that begged a little bit of a question from you about the law uh, and, you know, how, um, you know, whether the law can support, uh, uh, you know, these innovations and also um, help the real estate industry and bring the real estate industry in. Is there any room for that in, the, in you know, looking at the law. I mean, absolutely. I mean, number one, I think we want innovation. We want there to be, I mean, 
part of the reason we want something plugged into Zone J is that we want there to be innovation in the New York City area. We, there's a way to plug those upstate counties into New York City. We want to find that and be able to do that. Um, the second thing I'll say is that we are um, you know, thinking about you know, this advisory board. We want to have a cross-section of all expertise on this, engineers, uh, software, I mean, everyone. So I don't know if it's necessary. We, we say that one property owner, but we want people who are thinking about these issues in a, a large way. We want the real estate industry at the table in the same way we want um, you know, all stakeholders at the table here. We're all invested in New York City's success. We want to make sure that we're getting the best and the brightest. We, we don't, we're not trying to refuse anyone who's the best and brightest from the table as far as this advisory board. We do mandate that one person uh, you know, from the real estate board, you know, from a real estate property owner, you know, must be. Um, but we also have, you know, we want there to be a cross-section. We want there to be as many technical and intelligent people on there as possible. We also want an agency, and I'll say this on OB because I didn't have a chance to really kind of go delve in there. Uh, we want them to be fully funded and up and running yesterday. Uh, you know, we want there to be a agency that is assisting building owners with technical expertise for free, uh, as quickly online, fully funded, uh, you know, before the deadline, so you're not handing in your homework to someone who's brand new, but that you're working with them uh, in rulemaking, in, in this entire process. We want to make sure the administration is fully, has its agency fleshed out, uh, so they're actually going to be a help over time and not just when the homework is due, when they have to give in all their paperwork and say, okay, what'd you do? It has to be a longer-running conversation than just that. Oh, yes. Sorry. Okay. On the, um, you know, uh, is this creating opportunity for, you know, new companies and innovation? We, we actually, my co-founders and I all relocated to New York to specifically start Blueprint in New York City. And that was because of um, the reforming energy vision program at the state level that's been ongoing for years and leading to a lot of the great energy market reform we're seeing um, it's the real estate capital of the world. And we knew there would be really great and amazing uh, real estate partners to get going with, which has proven to be 100% true. And then, you know, just this, this last piece of um, really big momentum behind decarbonization thinking and legislation here and in other cities, we actually, frankly, weren't banking on that happening so fast. So we did not design our, our plan around it. But um, there's just so many pieces of the puzzle here in New York. And um, I think a lot of uh, energy tech and real estate tech companies are are seeing that. Um, but of course, there's still some elbow grease to put in, especially in the world of energy policy, because we know that's never been perfect. <laughs> so, well, does anyone have questions for our panelists? Um, okay, we got a lot. Does anyone not have a question? Right, exactly. 